Welcome, 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 guys, to the Modern Medicine Movement Podcast. Super pumped, super grateful, happy to be here with you. We got an amazing guest that's going to be joining us here in just a sec, and I can't wait to share her with you. She's incredible, and I think you're going to really, really love it. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate you so much. Once again, you can always find us at Modern Medicine Movement or on my personal account, which is at Dr. Thomas Hemingway, Dr. Thomas Hemingway or my website, thomashemingway.com. So today we're gonna get into it. We're just gonna jump right through, skip any kind of commercials, and we're gonna give our guests our full attention. So it's gonna be amazing. Are you ready? All right, so happy to have Dr. Stacy with us today. She is uh, coming in from Florida, which is a place that I have near and dear to my heart. We spent some time there, and we just had a quick little off off-camera chat and uh, just got to know her a little bit better. And so we are so grateful to have Dr. Stacy here. She's a naturopathic doctor, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself, her background. And then we're just going to roll into some super cool health topics that I think are going to be not only absolutely beneficial for women out there, but also for the dudes that have women in their lives. So Dr. Stacy, thanks for joining us on the Modern Medicine Movement. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat today. Awesome. So just give us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, where, where you're at in your life and your healthcare approach and what sort of you like to do that way. And we'll just get into sure. after that, some Absolutely. of the women's health topics that a lot of my listeners want to know about. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, I'll try not to take up the whole show. Um, basically I, you know, I come from a long line of chronic illness from a young age. Um, I, had debilitating anxiety from as long as I can remember uh, as a child. I, you know, I, my, both my parents are physicians. Uh, my older brother's a physician. Um, and I, I was the lucky one who struggled with chronic illness my whole life. And, and really, I just never really found any answers conventionally. Um, and then adding on um, breast implant illness in my younger 20s that I really, didn't know that it was contributing to some of these issues as well. Um, so I just, like I said, I never really found answers conventionally. My parents were kind of, you know, everything they knew and learned, um, they couldn't really make sense of it. I mean, I looked fine. And that's what a lot of things that I, I see happening is people tend to, if they're able to function day to day, even if it takes everything out of them, people don't understand how terrible they really feel on the inside. And so um, finding functional medicine around the time I was, you know, self-diagnosed with breast implant illness uh, was life-changing for me. And having an explant surgery, finding these um, nutrients I was deficient in because of not only implants, but post-birth control syndrome, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, all of these other things that have happened because of that chronic immune response to the implants kind of, you know, like it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, I found a lot of relief in functional medicine and I knew that that was where I had to go. So I, I learned everything I could. I, I still continue to take, um, you know, I got my doctorate in naturopathy. I got certified in several different functional medicine um, specialties because they all teach a little bit differently. And, you know, um, still like I love to take advanced courses because that's the thing that I love about functional medicine is it stays really relevant um, and it stays updated. 
so, you know, we update our testing, we update, you know, treatments and supplements that could help and things like that. Um, so we're always, always on the up and up. And I love that so much. So, um, so that's kind of what I do. So with my own patients, I, I do use functional medicine testing. I use the Dutch for hormones, which we'll talk about. Um, look at things like the gut, look at minerals, um, heavy metals, toxicities, mycotoxins, environmental toxins, things like that to help uh, restore health by locating the imbalances and more of an individual approach to healing. Oh, that's so awesome. I love, I love the, uh, the approach because that's really what I truly believe is the best approach is getting down to the root cause, which many of my colleagues in Western medicine, we often ignore that. Not, not that we don't appreciate it, but I think we're so just pressured for time and we have five to seven minutes with a patient often it's really hard to dig deep and get down to the root cause of things in that time frame and and we're just uh quick to use a prescription so i super appreciate your approach which is one that i share and i'm wondering if one of those uh trainings is with the institute of functional medicine or ifm i'm just curious not IFM. I did IHP and fbn and okay. i do take some um some of the other uh you know, I don't want to do a whole nother, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, certification. Yeah, everybody's got their own process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do the advanced awesome. modules or webinars and some of the other ones. Okay, yeah. cool. And for those that don't know, IFM is the Institute for Functional Medicine. That's where like Dr. Mark Hyman did his stuff. I, I actually got my training through them as well. And I still do training with them. Um, probably, I think so because Mark Hyman's kind of my idol a little bit. He's a few years older than I am. And uh, he's a medical doctor like myself that's, I, I think, seen the light like uh, Stacy has here as well. I, I wonder what the reaction is in your family with the medical doctors, the allopaths in your family. How do they view your choices? I'm just curious. <laughs> um, it's split. It's a split household. Uh, so my dad um, is very much, and I remember being young, my dad almost completely took a turn um, and learned to Chinese medicine, to learn Chinese medicine. But I think he was supporting a family of eight at that point and he was so nervous that you know okay I'm already making money doing radiology I don't think I can really flip the switch but he knows like he knows there's a better way he spent a lot of time in Thailand when he was in the army so he you know he was exposed to a lot of that um eastern medicine um how about the brothers? my mother got... on the other hand is okay she you know she likes her pills and her prescriptions <laughs> and she you know that's what she likes to do. I yeah. mean, it makes her feel safe. So, you know, it's a split household. <laughs> yeah. And did you say you have a couple of brothers who are um, medical doctors from allopathic training? Or? My brother, my older brother. Your older brother. As well. And he is very, he's very supportive. He's a psychiatrist. Okay. So he does prescribe. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I can sell him on the whole neuroinflammation thing yet, but, oh. you know, science is slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's 20 years, especially for most allopathic schools to recognize a lot of the data that's already there and the stuff that we know about. And yeah, neuroinflammation is huge. And actually, I've seen a lot of great yeah. stuff in the neuropsychiatry area that, uh, I mean, you and I know this, but the whole gut brain access and, and yeah. really the, the, the overwhelming influence our gut has on our mood, on our, you know, just our overall well-being. And, and there's like, you know, studies that look at, for example, mice where you take the gut bacteria or like a fecal transplant from a schizophrenic patient, you put it into a mouse yes. and they start to exert a lot of the symptoms of schizophrenia or same thing with depression or bipolar, these kinds of things. Yes. You literally just take the poop from somebody who has this condition, you put it in a mouse and they start to express this condition. Like this is 
I think earth shattering and, and I hope that your brother and, and the psychiatrist out there will appreciate this over time. I know there's always a lag and I feel like, you know, there's a lag. I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's just, it's really <laughs> profound stuff that, that has already, you know, sort of been discovered and now it's finally yeah. being shared. I think a little bit more freely. I mean, even myself, we had this talk offline when I first kind of went down the road to add to my practice and, and, Things, the integrative approach or the functional medicine approach, I was kind of made fun of by a lot, by a lot of my sort of Western trained colleagues and like, dude, what are you doing, man? That's like, that's voodoo stuff. I'm like, no, it's not. It's actually yeah. really simple, natural stuff. And it's, it's actually, it's of the most simple, I think. And maybe that's the it's reason. The basics. Yeah, it's really the basics. Yeah. I mean, when you get back to yeah. the most powerful lever, I think it's our diet. I mean, what we put into our Absolutely. mouth each and every day is one of the most powerful levers. And as I always share with people, it's either our best medicine, as Hippocrates said, you know, food is medicine, or it's a slow poison. And we literally get to make that mm -hmm. decision each and every day. So anyway, without um, more of that, I think we'll get into a lot of diet stuff with with the things I really want to talk about because you being, you know, in the field and in the functional medicine and treating, I'm sure, a lot of women that have hormonal issues. I've actually had a lot of feedback from a lot of my group. I have, you know, both the podcast following. I, I have another group as well called the Thrive Community. And a lot of people ask me about hormone stuff and and I share with them and I, I say, you know, I'll just I'll just dedicate a whole podcast to it and I'll bring somebody on that can really share her perspective. And so Perfect. I'm so grateful that you're here with us. And maybe we can just start. Well, you know, like I said at the beginning, for a lot of the dudes out there, you'd be like rolling your eyes at this. You shouldn't, because like if you have a woman in your life, like if you understand mm -hmm. this stuff, you are going to mm -hmm. be so much better prepared or just able oh. to you know, have the relationship you desire if you understand these things. So this is not just for women. This is for dudes, too. And, and maybe we can just start a little bit with just like what a normal women's, you know, um, cycle looks like, you know, before they enter the perimenopause and the menopause, which I want to get into as well. Um, many of us have in our in our life a woman or family, friends, whatever that have still, you know, the menses and, mm -hmm. and the menstrual cycle. And so I just want to talk a little bit about this. And then with the certain conditions that people can often have related to their menstrual cycle, if you will. And so for those, I'm not going to get too deep into, you know, all this, but basically, you know, on average, a woman's cycle is about 28 days. And obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot of variation. It starts with, you know, the first day of your period, the first day that you menstruate. And that's kind of the beginning of it. And that, you know, menstrual phase can last a couple of days, three to seven days on average. But as that starts, you also have the beginning of, of course, the follicular phase, which is when, you know, traditionally your body is trying to prepare the uterus for pregnancy. And so the ovaries start to crank out estrogen during this first part of the, you know, menstrual um, cycle or the, or should I say just the first part of the, of the menstrual phase called the uh, follicular phase. You pump out the estrogen. That's to prepare you know, the uterus for pregnancy. And then right about the midpoint, you know, in the cycle is the ovulatory phase, which usually only lasts, you know, about 24 hours. That's where the egg gets ovulated or released from the ovary, goes down the fallopian tube. And then if there's a sperm there, they can get together and make an embryo or a baby, so to speak. And so that last part of the phase, the last 14 days or whatever it may be, 17 days is the luteal phase. And that's kind of the preparation for the pregnancy where the progesterone tends to be the predominant hormone in that latter cycle. And so, you know, we'll talk about, I'm sure mm -hmm. in a minute, just about measuring hormones. And so I think, you know, this is something that we don't always appreciate, but it actually matters that the timing that you actually take the test, because, all right, if you do the 
do the hormone test and you're looking for estrogen and you take it right on day one when you're when you're menstruating, you're starting your period, that estrogen level is going to be really low. It's supposed to be low. Mm -hmm. And then it builds up in the first half and it peaks right about, you know, the mid cycle at ovulation. And then the progesterone peak is actually later in the cycle around day 20 or so. And so these these kind of mm -hmm. levels matter and the timing matters. But I think what um, a lot of our listeners might want to know is like, For example, let's let's go to um, I guess it would be more in the luteal phase right before you start to have menses. Many ladies will experience, you know, premenstrual syndrome or PMS. And maybe you could talk just a little yeah. bit about that and some of the things you see and some of the things that you've found to be helpful to kind of decrease symptoms associated with that PMS. Absolutely. So that is a very, very common occurrence. And I think one thing that people Uh, that women don't realize is that PMS is a symptom. It, it's not It's not a normal thing. It shouldn't be happening. We should just start our cycles and like out of the blue, like, okay, I mean, maybe you have a little bit of water retention or something like that, but it definitely shouldn't be, you know, where you see red every time someone walks into a room, um, you're, you know, cramps that are debilitating, things like that. Um, and these were things that I struggled with in high school. I didn't understand Um, that really they were because of inflammation and other imbalances that were going on. Um, so what I find is that a lot of women accept a lot of really crappy symptoms as they're normal because it's been really normalized. You know, all of these PMS symptoms have been normalized. So like we're talking mood disorders, cramps, um, you know, just uh, er erratic blood sugar, um, which is really, really important, especially that second half of your cycle to stabilize because mm -hmm you are going to be less um, insulin sensitive mm -hmm. during that point, And you're going to be way more um, reactive with stress hormones. Uh, so it's even more important to watch your workouts and how you're feeding and nourishing your body. And um, during that second part, um, that's going to alleviate some of those PMS symptoms just right there. But looking at um, inflammation, so, you know, inflammatory foods, uh, gut inflammation, things like that, that could be contributing Um, nutrient deficiencies. And what I see more, most commonly is a progesterone deficiency. Um, that's, that's our calming, you know, kind of uh, sedating type hormone. And when women are lacking that, you jump off a cliff, you know, uh, as you move into your menses. And so when women are lacking that really comfortable hormone, uh, it, it can be, you know, a nosedive. And so uh, nourishing, like I said, really um, working with your body, especially that second half of your cycle, and then looking for deficiencies in progesterone is, is life-changing for a lot of women. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because there's kind of um, a lot of talk on the you know, so-called estrogen dominance. You, know, you hear that word being yeah. thrown out a lot. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is you can have that because your progesterone is not where it should be. So yes estrogen relative to progesterone, if your progesterone is really low, that estrogen number is going to seem even higher to the body because they mm -hmm. sort of need to balance each other out. And like you said, in the second half of the cycle, progesterone should really be peaking. And it's kind of that relaxing, you know, calming, you know, uh, hormone mm -hmm. that, that, like you said, if you don't have, you'll get way more pms -y, so to speak, because you're more on edge, you're more agitated. Mm -hmm. And in that second half of the cycle, also, like you mentioned, the insulin Uh, sensitivity goes down because estrogen also goes down and estrogen helps you be insulin sensitive. And so that second half, mm -hmm. naturally with the dip in estrogen, it makes you a little bit less insulin sen sensitive and be more carbohydrate craving, maybe, you know, where you're 
It's even more yeah. important to watch your diet that second half because you're going to mm -hmm. naturally maybe reach for carbs more the second half. And that, yeah. that, especially if it's coming from processed foods of any kind, highly processed grains, flours, sugars, you know, all these things, of course, we're never going to recommend you reach for those type of carbs. But if you right. are going to reach for carbs, hopefully it's whole natural fruits and vegetables. So I think um, maybe you could right. comment on your experience with this so-called estrogen dominance and what, what you see mostly in your practice and how you sort of tackle that. Yeah. So, you know, I utilize this testing to look um, because it's really important to look not only at um, the total hormone levels, but also their detoxification. So what are they doing? And, you know, I don't have to get too deep into that, but um, it's interesting because everybody is, oh, I'm estrogen dominant, you know, this and that. Um, what I find is most women are struggling with that post birth control syndrome where all of their hormones are really low and, or maybe even in range, but not like you said, in ratio to each other. So estrogen is often very low for a lot of women and low estrogen looks like high androgen symptoms. Yeah. They, they're very, very similar. And guys, and androgens so are kind of more the male type uh, hormone pattern yeah, stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, so we hear so much about PCOS and things like that, but but women don't really look too much into having low um, hormone symptoms. And so that uh, so when estrogen and progesterone are both really low and then you're even lower in progesterone, that's kind of like a double hit, right? Yeah. Now now we don't have those to balance each other out. And, you know, and testosterone could be in range, but you could ha have those high androgen symptoms if they're significantly higher than your estrogen, estrogen progesterone. And what I see more as far as estrogen dominance goes is that it's more at a tissue level. I see a lot of women with fibroids. So even though their estrogen may not be showing up on the Dutch test, they, you still have to be treated um, as an estrogen dominant situation when you have things like fibrotic tissue mm -hmm. and, you know, some of those other things. So, um, cause there's really no good test to test, you know, tissue as far as. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think sometimes we're too reliant. Um, I don't know what it is, maybe our upbringing, but we want to have a, an exact test telling us what to do, mm -hmm. so to speak, but it's really yeah. a combination of the testing, the timing of the testing and the symptoms that we're having. And if we have manifestations, like you said, of things like fibroids or, endometriosis mm -hmm. or what have you that are estrogen kind of prone, you know, conditions, or we have PCOS where we have androgen symptoms like hair growth in our upper lip or hair growth where we don't want to have hair growth or we're exactly. you know, having baldness yes. and, you know, we're having sort of these, <clears throat> you know, androgen, which are the male type hormone symptoms where we're getting hair, where yes. we don't want it. We're losing hair where we don't want to lose hair. And we're having other issues in the body with um, like primarily you, you probably see this a ton, but a lot of the PCOS sufferers, if you will, are having very difficult time getting pregnant, for example, right? They, yes. It's one of the causes of, uh, you know, infertility or less fertility is PCOS. And it's so common in, in women, I would say, um, in my, gosh, you know, the, the studies quote like five to 20 something percent, but it seems like a lot of people have it that don't even know they have it because there's not just yeah. one type of person, right? You can be skinny and have PCOS. You can be overweight Absolutely. and have PCOS. You can be normal. You can be yes. anywhere in between. So it's not just a lot of people look to that like, oh, I'm not that, you know, body habitus of the classic person, right? Where I'm a little bit overweight. I have a little bit of a, right. a hairy lip and losing my hair kind of thing. I don't have any of that. I'm skinny and exactly. I, I couldn't possibly have it, but you actually could have it. 
and not Absolutely. have some of these physical traits. And so how do you encourage women to even like look into that? Like, especially if they might be somebody that doesn't know that they could have it or in denial that maybe they could have it. Like, how do you even approach that? Um, I definitely like for, um, yeah. So PCOS, like I said, I, I'm going to look I Dutch test is pretty much standard for me uh, on any incoming client anymore, just mm -hmm. because there's always so many underlying things that people might be like, Oh no, you know, my, I, you can have PCOS and still have a regular cycle, you know, in that or or even estrogen dominance and things like that. So it's really important to have the data to know what to do to kind of correct um, PCOS. So you need to have high androgens, you have to have, you know, cystic formations, and then also have um, blood sugar imbalances. Yeah. So she's speaking uh, of the really sort of diagnostic criteria for polycystic ovarian <laughs> syndrome or PCOS, uh, meaning that you do show elevated lo levels of the sort of male hormones, the androgens, you have these cysts on your ovaries and other places. That's kind of where the classic description comes from, polycystic. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, so that's the diagnostic stuff. And um, you may have some of it, you may have all of it. Usually people will have full blown PCOS, they'll start to have all of these things that you can actually measure and see, although mm -hmm. you couldn't necessarily see them with your naked eye, so to speak, right? You can't see the blood exactly. level. You can't see the cysts on the ovaries. You can't see any of that necessarily just yes. by taking a look at somebody. And so doing the testing, like uh, Stacy is saying here, is actually really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's just, it's got to be, because like I said, it's got to be that individualized approach. Um, so many women struggle, whether they're full-blown PCOS or not, so many women struggle with balancing their blood sugar. Mm -hmm. um, women are inherently over-restrictive, um, undernourished. Uh, very depleted. And if you've been on birth control, you know, um, you're going to be depleted in some really important uh, nutrients that you're not really pulled when you're put on that birth control. Uh, and those alone will help with blood sugar stability and things like that. And we talked about being low estrogen. Uh, that is a huge key player. And then a lot of women get breakfast and, you know, go, they have bre uh, coffee for breakfast or, you know, things like that, which sets your blood sugar for just a roller coaster for the whole day. And then your cortisol, your circadian rhythms all over the place. You can't sleep at night. You know, all of these things really need to be taken into consideration. You know, your, your hormone tests, your blood sugar, um, but also lifestyle, you know, how are you managing your stress? Are you actually sleeping at night? Do you nourish your body? Are you eating several times a day, especially for women, especially women who have hormone imbalances? They need to be eating like every two or three hours. Yeah, you and, know? and eating the right um, foods those two to three hours, right you know, food. eating real, yes. real food, not the snack foods that we sometimes think are health foods. You brought up like three or four right. times with PCOS, for example, the importance of insulin and insulin resistance that is, I would say, universal in all cases that I've ever mm -hmm. seen of PCOS. There is mm -hmm. insulin resistance, mm -hmm. which I think most of my uh, listeners know a lot about this. I've talked uh, about it ad nauseum. I had Dr. Ben Bickman on my podcast about two years ago, mm -hmm. and he talked all about insulin resistance. And I think a lot of people underappreciate the value of getting their, like you mentioned, blood sugar in check or balanced and how that can not only help with just feeling better throughout the day, but it can help with a myriad of hormonal conditions like PCOS. Because once you can get your insulin mm -hmm. properly balanced, a lot of these other hormone things really work themselves out to a large degree. But there are definitely additional things you can do through replacing mm -hmm. deficiencies like you're mentioning. What are, what are the common deficiencies that you see when uh, people have been on birth control for a long time? 
birth control. Yeah. So you're inherently, so it's interesting because the WHO just released um, an article a few years ago saying like, yep, you will definitely have these nutrient deficiencies if you've been on oral birth control. Um, but that's not to say that IUDs and things like that don't alter your microbiome, leading you to more nutrient deficiencies. But they know specifically um, things like magnesium, B vitamins, several of the B vitamins. I know for sure B12, B6, which is really important for um, neurotransmitters and oxalate removal and things like that. B12 or methylation, um, zinc, magnesium. I don't know if I said that. So these are really important uh cofactors for lots of processes in the body you know so when you have a woman with hormonal issues that also has chronic fatigue and you know energy production issues and things like that those are mitochondrial cofactors too mm-hmm. um so they're important for hormones important for lots of different things liver detoxification um and that's why i love looking at the dust because it can tell me uh your methylation status it can tell me phase one and phase two you know where how how are you able to um, process these hormones? How are you able to actually methylate and get them out? Um, but it's just, you have to understand it takes nutrients and cofactors to do all of these things. And a lot of women um, are increasingly more and more deficient in things like amino acids, which is another really important cofactor for mitochondria, but also, like I said, hormone support and things like that. Women do not eat enough protein uh, yeah. across the board. And that's one of the first things I work with women Yay. is getting their protein up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's amazing. You mentioned, I, I'll just summarize really quickly. So the importance of magnesium, as you say, is uh, often deficient, especially in those that have been on birth control, especially oral uh, birth control for many years. And I, I just find that almost, I would say 70% of Americans tend to be deficient in magnesium. It oh, may not well. be measurable, on a blood test, mm-hmm. but they have the signs and symptoms of it. And as you said, it is a very important cofactor and like, depending on what data, three to 600 different reactions, including making that ATP in the mitochondria, mm-hmm. so darn important. And yet so many of us are deficient and we just don't even know it. So yeah, magnesium is something I always recommend to patients. The B vitamins, absolutely. And then absolutely. of course you mentioned uh, cobalamin or B12, uh, even better if they can get a methylated B12, as you know, that way it can mm-hmm. be used much more readily in the body. And the last thing you talked about, I love, love, love this is protein. Protein is so powerful. And the way I look at it is we (laughs) should literally have protein in every meal. And it's a really great thing to start our day with because of the satiety that comes from that. We'll be less Mm -hmm. likely to reach for those unhealthy carbs if we pack our our breakfast, especially with protein and avoid the classic breakfast, you know, stuff that we as Americans are familiar with all the carbs that are in cereals and breads and bagels and scones and, you know, croissants and all these crappy, horrible breakfast. Yeah. But starting our day with protein, how do you encourage uh, your patients to improve their, their overall protein numbers? What, what, how do you achieve that? Cause I, I know it's so crucial. What's your approach to adding more protein? It is. Um, so it's funny because I'm so glad you're, we're on the same page because it is, protein is one of those hot topics. People either like, or like you, like, yes, you need it. It's a cofactor. You need those amino acids. And what, if we don't have protein coming in, what are we rebuilding? How can we rebuild ourselves? We're trying to heal ourselves and our tissues. And if we don't have that, we're, we turn over, I think it's like over 300 grams of protein a day. 
if you're not bringing in, I'm not saying you need 300 yeah. grams, but if you're not bringing it in. Because you recycle you it. You recycle a lot of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you don't need 300 mm -hmm. grams, yeah. but you're going to need, I would say, humbly, at least a gram per kilo. I usually shoot for two grams per kilo, which is basically about a gram per pound of body weight. That's kind of yes. what I shoot That's for. And, mm -hmm. and all That's these people goal. that are the naysayers are, oh my gosh, well, you're going to activate mTOR mm -hmm. and you're going to die of cancer. Like there's actually no good data. I've done a tremendous amount of no. lit, lit research on that whole mTOR issue and people that are afraid of protein. Don't be afraid of protein unless you have no. terrible kidney disease then you can right. be cautious. But anybody who has normal kidneys, like you are not going to have any issues by increasing your protein. Like we need it. It's the building right. block, like Dr. Stacy is telling us. So I'm so yes, excited that you it. share that. What's your favorite personal Same. protein uh, uh, food or way to get it into your own diet? How do you like to do that? I I am a, I love fish. I love all, hey. and it's good because I live on the coast. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Um, I love fish. Um it's my it's definitely my favorite, but I also like a grass fed beef. Yeah. It is team iron, it is B vitamins, it is all of those. You know, so many women are iron deficient. And, you know, that didn't happen. I mean, think about like our grandparents. They ate liver. Mm -hmm. They you know Yay, what I mean? They didn't yeah. restrict. They had all the good things. And all now we have this generation of women that's just all of a sudden iron deficient. And it's like, well, you need to eat meat. You were told not to eat red meat. You need to eat meat. I mean, yeah. just, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love that you mentioned organ <laughs> meats because like most of us don't even know what the heck organ meats are like things like I liver know. and heart and kidney and all these things yes. that literally our ancestors always ate. I, I admit even growing up, I ate liver and like now I try to go buy it. It's so hard to even get, you know, unless you go to one of these companies that specializes in that or you know one of these regenerative yeah. farms that understands that and so a lot of people I'll recommend they just take desiccated organs if they just can't find them but organ meats yeah. are super beneficial tons of vitamins like if you want natural yeah. vitamins that actually come from real living things like organ meats is a great place to go and and so oh I love that Absolutely. you're on the same page with that that is so awesome yes. <laughs> I mean even my dog eats or so my dog, you know, off topic, has, has he had just systemic yeast, and I really think it was coming from his dog food. Mm. And as soon as I switched him to organ meat, he cleared up within like a couple weeks. It was wow. bizarre. And they just wanted to put him on, which is, you know, when you look into veterinary things, it's very similar to what, you know, conventional medicine is mm -hmm. doing. They wanted to put him on steroids. Yeah. And, and then they were like, oh, you might have Addison's. And I'm like, well, stop putting him on steroids. Like, you know what I mean? It didn't make sense. So I was like, no, we'll just get him on organ meats. And he, I mean, he's good. Wow. He, and, and I, I wonder if you, if you looked at the, the ingredients on the dog food, I'm wondering if it would have things like soybean oil and safflower, sure. sunflower, you know, all these seed oils that I'm sure you're very familiar yeah. with are super, super inflammatory. And I think it's literally... Yeah hiding in plain sight because most people don't even recognize that that stuff is bad for you. I mean, we always talk about the sugar. Nobody's going to say sugar is awesome for you, you know, highly processed right. sugars, flours, grains. But the thing that almost always comes with that is some version of a seed oil, whether it be soybean, safflower, sunflower, canola, grapeseed, mm -hmm. rice bran oil, you know, these sort of hateful seed oils that like Dr. Kate Shanahan calls them the hateful eight, for example, they're almost mm -hmm. everywhere that you get anything in a package with a bag, a box <laughs> yeah. or a barcode, you know, it's going to come with a seed oil. And I, I bet you if you were to look, I bet you the dog food had some kind of seed oil in there also. I'm like pretty certain of it. Oh, I, I'm sure of it. And we even bought in like the higher end stuff, but it still had some sort of grains. I'm yeah. sure it had fillers. I'm sure <laughs> it was contaminated, you know. 
and they even have had recalls of mold and dogs being exposed to yeah. mycotoxins and things like that. You know, I mean, it's it's the same thing, but it just goes to show you that it's just getting to the basics, giving him yeah. real nutrient dense foods is yeah. what cleared his systemic yeast in a matter of weeks. I mean, people are the same way. That's you know? so awesome. I mean, if you think about it, you know, historically, what have dogs been eating? They've been eating meat. You know, dogs eat meat. Well, exactly. They're carnivores. They're like us. We've always eaten meat throughout our whole, you know, right. thousands and thousands of years of of ancestry, we've always been eating meat. And actually the organs were always cherished. Like literally those were eaten mm -hmm. first and then kind of the scra yes. scraps were thrown out to the dog. So they still ate the meat, but they ate the muscle meat, the stuff that we eat now, we eat the lower quality muscle meat and we're forgetting about the organ meats and the higher quality meats. And we're cutting out the fat yeah. and the cartilage and we're missing out on all the glycine that's in them and things like that. So it's really interesting. Yes. And I love that you yes. said grass fed um, in there because mm -hmm. if you can, get grass-fed beef, it's going to be way better for you because it's not only important what you eat, but it's what they have eaten as well. And if they've been fed grains mm -hmm. and seed oils and all kinds of garbage just to get fat, to get off to market and get yep. a higher price because of their weight, you're going to actually suffer from the effects of that as well as being you know, the person who consumed that animal that had a bad diet. So it's actually important what they and hormones. Ate. Yeah. And the hormones yeah. too. There's such a, yes. it's, we can't uh, ignore the hormone issue because it will right. actually be affected by what they have eaten as well. So, I'm, oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad you appreciate mm -hmm. that. Let's talk more about hormones again. We got a little bit off topic, but that was super fun. Yeah. Um, dogs. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about hormones and the perimenopause and menopause that I know a lot of our patients yeah. have been going through. My wife is right about it that perimenopause time I'm turning 50 and yeah. she's just a couple years behind me and she's starting to have some different symptoms and maybe you could talk a little bit about perimenopause and menopause yeah. and kind of what are the common things you see with that and and what's been the things that you've noted in your practice that has been the most helpful to both reduce mm -hmm. symptoms and to just uh, have that transition as natural and healthful as possible so maybe just start with the peri sure. perimenopausal years yeah, definitely. So, you know, perimenopause, so basically this is your transition between having a regular cycle and then going full-blown into menopause, which where we, when we go full-blown menopause, basically your ovaries have, you know, they're stopped producing follicles and we, they don't any longer produce our sex hormones and we rely really heavily on our adrenals or our tissues to make our hormones from that point on. So there's a lot of rockiness especially now because there's so many imbalances, right? So perimenopause already is not like the best ride in the world. Um, from what I hear, I'm not quite there yet. Um, but, and what I see, but the thing is, the more you can prepare for that, especially in your twenties and thirties, get those imbalances in order, get those nutrients in order, make sure that you're not overstressing your body, make sure that you're not over-exercising, over-restricting, um, things like that, you can help pad that kind of, you know, then it doesn't have to be quite the twist jump into, into menopause, then it can be a little bit more of a, a gentle glide, you know, and that's the goal. Um, so we want to make sure that we are, um, like I said, preparing our bodies for that. And women inherently, especially my age, you know, we've been through the diet culture, we've, we've been through all of these, you know, like I said, the over-exercising, the under-nourishing, we, we've, kind of really destroy our bodies in college uh you know we're up all hours of the night studying or partying or whatever it is <laughs> alcohol um all of these things we really destroy our body and we're uh, destroying our liver and our blood sugar and and things like that and that's those are the things that need to be foundational to help 
with uh, perimenopause and menopause um, downstream. So what I find to be most helpful is, like I said, locating those imbalances that you specifically have, um, supporting your body, supporting your stress response now, supporting your nutrients, nutrient-dense foods, making sure you're feeding your body properly, stabilizing blood sugar. Um, you know, women with hormone issues uh, don't really do well, in my opinion, doing doing fasting and things like that until they really get their hormones in a good, stable place or their liver in a good, stable place. You know, that's a, there can be a time and a place, and I think a lot of women jump to that, especially when they have PCOS, like, oh, I heard fasting is good for this, you know, to help with my insulin. Uh, what I see clinically is that it's better to stabilize your blood sugar, uh, better to eat often, get your body to stop turning on those stress hormones. And, um, you know, in, in moving intentionally, not punishing your body, you know, all of these things, getting proper sleep is a huge one. Oh my gosh, uh, so critical. That a lot of people miss the mark on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those, those really, really, really help. Those are like the foundational things that help make perimenopause not so terrible when you're eating. Yeah, no, I, I love that you focused on like, literally you can start 20 years before to really optimize yeah. your health so that you don't have to go through a rough, rocky, you know, perimenopause and menopause because these kinds of mm -hmm. things literally can start decades earlier with imbalances, with lifestyle choices. And you mentioned some of my favorite ones, you know, focusing on optimizing our sleep, which I'll be honest, I until about... 10 or a few more years ago, I didn't value my sleep. I was, you know, from the classic medical training that sleep was for the week and you didn't need to sleep. And if you did yeah. sleep, you were missing out on something. And so yes. I, for many of my years, didn't sleep more than, you know, maybe six hours a night, four hours a night, whatever. Yeah. Now, like, I love to get my eight hours. I usually get seven. Yeah. I mean, I try to get eight every night if I can, but I, seven is a pretty... Yeah much staple now and it didn't used to be even a decade ago and i think sleep yeah as you know is so critical for your hormone balance because mm -hmm. when you're not sleeping your stress hormones like cortisol are just getting really fired up and then you can later on if you mm -hmm. haven't fired up all the time you know your experience is kind of like tired and wired thing where at night you can't even go to sleep yeah. even though you're so dang tired exhausted you can't do anything but you can't fall asleep and then you know you have the ramifications Start of the over. altered cortisol and and you have basically adrenal fatigue and things like that and it's like you know what just get a good night's sleep you'll feel so much better you can actually lose yeah. weight during your sleep like who knew right it's one of the one of the cheapest weight loss hacks just get a good night's sleep every yeah, night when we fat burn. yeah because yeah. that helps you balance <laughs> your hormones and i just love that you you approach it with kind of replenishing the hormones first because i do think that uh, fasting has a role. And I think in women, it's a little more challenging because they have more mm -hmm. hormonal things to have to optimize. Like a dude, you know, I pretty much, if they're overweight and they have insulin resistance, I just say, you know what, we got to first focus on what's at the end of our fork, you know, stop eating the processed foods, start eating real mm -hmm. food. And then if you can start doing a little bit of a window where you don't eat overnight, like I just yes. call it a circadian fast. Like you're going to sleep hopefully eight hours. Yeah. So you're not eating for yeah. at least eight hours. And then maybe when yeah. you wake up, just have a full glass of water and wait one hour before you eat something. So we'll just kind of slowly, you know, increase that window and don't eat right yeah. before you go to bed either. And then if you need a snack during the day, that's fine. Just use real food to snack on. Use nuts, use berries, yeah. use something that didn't come out of a package that's full of garbage. <laughs> you know, I know. And I, then the body magically balances itself out, you know, and your hunger 
signals getting magically fixed when you eat real food, you know, it's a big deal. Oh, it's so important. And I think once you get that, like you said, once you get kind of your hormones balanced and you're eating the right foods, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a place for women to do things like intermittent fasting. But I would definitely say yeah. wa- watch out for the extremes because I think extremes in yeah. anything are not helpful. Mm-hmm. Like the extreme, right, is basically an eating disorder, right? We're not encouraging mm-hmm. people to do you know, 20 hours of fasting every day, or a lot of times people are now talking about this OMAD approach, the one meal a day. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the best thing. You know, I personally don't do that. And maybe once in a while, if I'm trying to do a 24 hour or 48 hour fast once a month or something, that's different, but I'm not going to be doing that every single day. Like I love to eat number one. Like I think we should enjoy eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we really Mm -hmm. can enjoy eating if we choose the right foods. But I think this uh, taking things to the extreme, and I think it's just too easy to do, especially with all the noise out there on social media. Like you have to, if you don't fast at least for 16 hours, you're a wimp. Like that's just garbage, you know? Like I I just shoot for an overnight overnight Mm -hmm. fast and then you can lengthen it as you feel appropriate because, you know, our whole ancestry, we always fasted overnight. We didn't get up and eat in the middle Mm -hmm. of the night. Number one, there was nothing to eat, right? We didn't have a pantry. We didn't have a refrigerator. (laughs) We couldn't eat anyway, even if we wanted to. So anybody can do an overnight fast, but as you you know, get your hormones balanced. If you want to add on to that, I think that's totally fine. I, I've been talking yeah. a lot about intermittent fasting, but I think the extremes are are really to be careful with, especially mm-hmm. with women because the hormone issues are a big player. And I know my wife has told me about her experiences with this. She's kind of trying all different types of, um, you know, intermittent fasting styles. And I'm telling mm-hmm. her, like, don't be too extreme. Like, don't even, yeah. even, even me, I don't do it every day. Like I do five days a week where I'm pretty solid on my intermittent fasting. And then two days, usually the weekends, uh-huh. it's just whenever the kids get up, yeah. we'll eat together, but it's always real food. Exactly. Like, I think if you start with your real food, you'll have to worry way less about, you know, the timing, Absolutely. as long as you're eating the right foods, which is just wholesome, real, actual, you know, food that doesn't come with any kind of label, right? Because you recognize it. It's a fruit, it's a vegetable, it's a protein, you know, you don't, you yes. don't even need a, a label yes. to tell you that, right? <laughs> Right. Absolutely. So what are, yeah, what are your thoughts on, um, we talked a lot about the, I think the most important ways to treat, you know, perimenopause and menopause, which is with the foundational things like a good diet, appropriate sleep, stress management, moving your body, exercise, things like that. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on uh, like hormone replacement, these kinds of things that, that I think do have a role, but don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to always be used. What, what is your approach on that? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I do have to do a lot of corrective DHRT, uh, which is bioidentical hormone replacement yeah. therapy. Because um, uh, sometimes, so when women are basing their uh, hormone replacement therapy on uh, a blood test, mm-hmm. you know, a blood test is a second in time mm-hmm. of a day where your hormones are pulsing like this throughout the whole day. And so you're catching one of those little pinpoints with a blood test, and then you're basing your dosage of hormone on that. That is not good and also you need to look at like i said your phase one estrogen pathway if you're taking the 4-oh pathway which we don't have to get into all that but but basically it's going to make you more predisposed for cancer and things like that if you're on an estrogen hormone and your body's preferring that 4-oh pathway because you haven't done phase one liver work uh that could be really damaging and really uh a bad situation to be in so it's always important to look at your your uh, hormone detoxification, your methylation capability before getting on hormone therapy. But I also like to start when I'm dealing with postmenopausal women, I like to start with uh, pregnenolone or DHEA for most women because 
what those are, they're precursors to all your steroid hormones. Mm -hmm. And so then your body can take from those precursors what it needs. So if it needs more progesterone, it'll make more progesterone. You know, so you're doing the foundational work. Sometimes a little bit of support um, from a higher up source is going to be way more beneficial than just pumping full of estrogen and progesterone and sometimes testosterone that women are on, which there are no female um, testosterone therapies that are FDA approved. Yeah. And a lot of women don't know that. And you hear all these women talking about pellets and all the testosterone oh. pellets. So yeah. they're not uh, FDA approved. Have some, and there's have a some lot caution. Of, yeah, definitely. No, I love, yeah, I love the upstream. The upstream <laughs> approach, I think, is always going to be better. That's the way our body sees it, right? We mm-hmm. first have something yeah. called the hypothalamus that sends a signal to the pituitary. And then the pituitary sends a signal to our, you know, adrenal glands or our ovaries or testicles to do what they do. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's to go upstream, I think you're always going to benefit. So that's why you say DHEA, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And I, I agree with you 100% with bioidentical hormones, way better than something synthesized in the lab that we're just kind of trusting mm-hmm. our doctor to write us a prescription for estrogen or what have you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's they're telling us to take a combo estrogen progesterone, and it's just what they've been told. But most of them, I mean, I can say this comfortably because I come from that training, there's actually not, I don't feel like sufficient training in this area to really appreciate the true hormonal yeah. balance. I mean, we take, you know, classes on, on endocrine system and how the, the hormones are regulated and the feedback loops and all of that. But I think an actual practice, especially what you just said about measuring them, like this is a moving target. Like you take a test at one time of the day and depending on what that test is, I mean, let's just say cortisol, right? If you take cortisol Mm -hmm. in the midday or evening, it's going to be way less than the spike in the early morning. So it just depends on what time of day you take these tests. You got to interpret it correctly and then hopefully Mm -hmm. treat it with first and foremost, the things that move the needle most like the diet and lifestyle things. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, bioidentical, if you have to go that route. Um, But having somebody like Stacy in your corner or myself or many others that I think practice this integrative approach can be super useful because a lot of times, you know, just the classic, you know, prescription for hormone replacement may not be the best choice. And so Mm -hmm. when you mentioned all of the potential downstream effects from chronic or maybe years of birth control, um, do you see any similar things from a pharmaceutical estrogen later on down the road or what, uh, that's not talked about as much, but I'm just curious in what your practice has been. Yeah, I, I see, I see a mess, honestly. I see a mess, <laughs> a mess. Of, <laughs> when women, well, it, it, it's, and I think the biggest caveat is that they're put on, well, sometimes women are just put on estrogen and let's just say they've had a hysterectomy. It's really dangerous to be on just estrogen yeah. and not have that progesterone too to balance it out. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really dangerous. And I think what's really the missing mark is that adrenals haven't been supported Um, Because we rely on that aromatase from our testosterone to estrogen to keep, that's how we get our estrogen after menopause. And so if the adrenal stress has not been addressed and you haven't supported the adrenals, your symptoms are still going to persist and um, maybe even scream louder because now you have this uh, estrogen coming in that your body can't detoxify or methylate because you haven't looked into that. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's so many pieces of the puzzle. It's really important to look at all of those things, what your liver is able to do, what your family history is, and things like that. But I do see a lot of women have a lot of trouble who have been on um, 
it's just a band-aid, you know, and a lot of them, their symptoms haven't gone away. And that's why I think the women who are on BHEA or uh, pregnenolone do so much better. Yeah. Rather than just a straight estrogen uh, prescription. I I couldn't agree more because the balance is Mm -hmm. so critical and, um, Gosh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, you're preaching to the choir as well. And I think the other thing that, that we've also talked about, but maybe didn't emphasize a lot with hormones is that when you balance, let's just say insulin, I really feel like insulin is one of the master hormones. When you balance mm-hmm. that appropriately, which is basically going to happen through a real food diet, through daily mm-hmm. movement of some kind, whether it be rigorous mm-hmm. exercise or just a walk, I just encourage people to go for a walk to fit it in every single day. Yeah getting good sleep, optimizing their stress. And then also one thing we haven't had time, maybe I can invite you back because I'm, I'm sure you would love to talk about something called gut health or the microbiota or microbiome yes. because that is so critical in all of these pathways too, but that can be so helpful with insulin resistance. And once we get uh-huh. that under control personally and, and throughout many patients yeah. I've seen, once they get their insulin balance, their blood sugar balance, as you say, a lot of the hormonal problems get a lot less, you know, they decrease. Some of them even disappear. I've seen it in guys as well that have low testosterone that once they change their diet and they stop eating crappy processed foods and they start eating real food and more meat and protein, like literally their testosterone will improve. And once they start getting good sleep, like there's all these simple, you know, free things that we can do that many of us just don't either think about because our doctors don't tell us the importance of things like sleep and diet and exercise and stress optimization. Then of course the fifth one is gut health. I think most doctors don't talk about that, but I I know you and I love to talk about that. But if we tackle the main issue in almost, Mm -hmm. it's almost ubiquitous, right? Like 88% of people have some degree of insulin resistance or metabolic dysfunction. And if we head for that first, a lot of these hormonal issues will improve significantly. They may not completely go away, but I've seen many of them, including, you know, estrogen, progesterone, thyroid hormone, Mm -hmm. testosterone, many of these things go away or dramatically improve with just tackling that sort of simple lever of insulin resistance by, you know, our diet and movement and sleep and stress optimization. Have you seen that as well? Yes. And it's funny because we, you know, you wanted to talk um, about perimenopause and menopause and things like that. Women, they lose the most muscle mass during perimenopause. Um, So we were talking about women already not getting enough protein. Mm. When you're talking about insulin resistance, one of the best things you can do is to build muscle, getting enough protein and building muscle because muscle is what we process most of our glucose in. Mm -hmm. We process almost 80% of our glucose in our muscle. So if we're under muscles and we lose muscle during perimenopause and menopause, that right there, and like I said, getting enough protein, getting those amino acids, that is half of your battle right there. Oh my gosh, that I, that is so easy. important. Yeah, no, we are under, <laughs> you use the term under muscled, and I, I think that is so mm-hmm. true because the natural trajectory as we age, be it a man or a woman, is we lose our muscle mass, right? That's called sarcopenia, mm-hmm. and we even treat that as normal. It doesn't have to be normal. Like there's no reason no. you should have to lose muscle mass, and when you do, you're priming yourself for lots of issues like you just mentioned because muscle is so metabolically active. It processes most Mm -hmm. of that, you know, glycogen or the stored sugar more than any other place in the body. And it is basically the place where we can do the most sort of metabolic activity. And if we want to lose weight and things with active muscle mass. So the more muscle mass we Mm -hmm. have, the easier it will be to be at a nice, you know, 
weight that we desire, right? Because if we go on one of these crazy diets where we lose 20 or 30 pounds in a month, and a lot of that is muscle, in the end, we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot because when you lose muscle, it's a disaster for your metabolic health. So I I love that you mentioned that. I love that you Mm -hmm. mentioned the protein and the muscle and how in perimenopause, why do you think it's in perimenopause more so than later after, after menopause when women tend to lose more muscle mass? Why do you think that is? I think it's just a loss in overall, um, you know, I think having healthy levels of estrogen and progesterone do promote healthy levels of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And I think when we drop that drops off, we are going to be more prone to muscle wasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just the most drastic during that kind of transition period yeah. um, because of that, because of those in, uh, or unstable levels uh, of hormones for the longest time. And yeah, then it think- even increases. Um, you know, as we go into that postmenopausal range, because then our, they really have dropped off at that point. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It makes sense because once you're already at menopause, those levels have significantly dropped and they're kind of like more at this more mm-hmm. flatline low state. Whereas in mm-hmm. the perimenopause, that's when you're seeing the, the dips happen. And I think that's where you'll see the most change. And so um, combating mm-hmm. that, you've already given us the solution, Stacy, with increasing the protein in our diet, making sure we're doing mm-hmm. some kind of resistance training. I always encourage people to just do things that are available, like literally do air yeah. squats, you know, like I'm, I'm actually talking yeah. to you at my standing desk and I have <laughs> weights at my feet yeah. that I can pick up and move, you know, just little things. It doesn't have to be anything big. Like you don't yeah. have to have a gym membership. People think that it has to be no. hard. Like just choose easy, right. choose what you can do at home with your own body weight. You know, my favorite is pull-ups. Mm-hmm. I love to do pull-ups, for example, or push-ups or, mm-hmm. you know, just the squats or the, my, my other favorite is just, you know, getting on the ground and, and just seeing how long I can hold a plank. You know, even my kids do planks mm-hmm. now and they're like, oh my gosh, dad, yeah. that's so hard. <laughs> First they say yeah, it's easy because exactly. they do it for 10 seconds. They say, well, hold it for right. five, five minutes and then tell me how it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's easy when they were watching you do it. Yeah. yeah. What, what do <laughs> you like? What do you like to do, or or personally, or recommend to your patients to increase their muscle mass? What are your sort of tips or, or famous strategies? Well, so I started out in this world, uh, you know, this world of health as a personal trainer. So oh, I have yay. an affinity for just old school weight training, mm-hmm. just getting those free weights, and you know, the like we said, the basics still work. Um, but I know that that's not everybody, you know, uh, I, I just like to encourage people, like you said, to move. Um, I don't want to make you love something you don't love already. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want you to build on whatever you already like to do. Um, if you like hiking and, and, you know, and things like that, or you like, uh, you know, whatever it is, playing with your kids, do more of that, you know, do more of that outside do it in the sunshine so you can get the vitamin D while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Things like that. Um, I want you to build on what you already have. Uh, I think a lot of women when they do, and that was one thing I really loved about training was when women did start to build muscle and felt strong, they loved it. And so many women are afraid they're going to get bulky or, you know, look like men. And and it just doesn't, you have to do a lot of uh, extra things to get there. (laughs) Amen, amen um, to that. I, I think so many women yeah. fear that. They're like, well, I don't want to look all yeah. bulky and muscular and lose my female stuff. Like, no, that's you're, you're that. seeing yeah. the extreme. That almost never happens. Like, oh my gosh, you'll almost feel never. better. You you'll work really hard. Look better. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh. My wife is also, she started as a personal trainer, you know, 30 years ago. Okay. And she's yeah. uh, got a degree in kinesiology and in nursing. And, and now she's oh, doing nice. similar things with health and things.
things. And so she and you would probably get, get a great conversation and really hit it off well. She yeah. has that background. She trained at like the sports club LA where Shaquille O'Neal used to train. And, and oh, she's so worked cool. with a lot of clients over the years and in that area. Now she focuses more, she still does tons of that, you know, physical stuff with, you know, um, yeah. that sort of end, but she loves more to focus on the big picture now with diet and, you know, incorporating all yeah. those other things that we've talked about. So that's so awesome. I yeah, love that you said really that. Cool. That's so cool yeah. because many women fear building too much muscle. It's like, what? It just doesn't happen. I you know. don't have to fear that. Dr. Stacy says no. you don't have to fear that. Don't fear it. You need it. It's metabolic. You need, you need, you need all the muscle. <laughs> you need all the muscle. Yes, we do need all that yes. muscle. And ah, because if we don't do it, we're going to lose it. You, you got to, you know, well, the absolutely. classic adage, right? Use it or lose it. And with muscle, that's certainly how it goes. And naturally, if we don't do things, which my favorite comment that people tell me is, oh, you know, I'm, you know, 30 now and my metabolism is just not the same or I'm 40 now. And it's like the studies don't show that up to at least age 60. No. Nothing significantly right. slows with respect to our metabolism. But we, we slow, right? I mean, we're not running yeah, around doing all the stuff that we used yes. to do. <laughs> we're more stagnant and, yeah. and now we're working from home and yeah. we're less active and, you know, all of these things like, yeah, we do that. That's not our, you know, that's not just pre-programmed. It's not getting older or whatever. I mean, yeah. like, I love it when people say, oh, I'm just getting old and they're like 30. I'm like, what? Come on. 30, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's not. It's getting younger and younger. I know. I know. I mean, I'm dealing with kids even in college that are already struggling, you know, with energy issues. And I'm just like, it's getting younger and younger. And, you know, it's just got to be, um, like I said, these foundational things really have to be taught younger and younger. And the best way we could do that, right, is teaching our kids. So they know, yeah. you know, if they get to that point, which hopefully they never do uh, in their 20s or later on that they, they remember like, oh, yeah, this is what this is what my parents told me. I need to fuel my body better. I need to focus on sleep, you know, all of those things. Uh -huh. I think that's so key. And I, if you don't mind me asking, how does that go with your uh, two kids at home with, you know, eating you know, healthy foods, I'm sure. Do they resist that or are they just so used to it? Or what does that look like in your house? They, um, they are so great. Kids are, people do not give kids enough, like benefit of the doubt. They really don't. They, I have so many clients are like, oh, you know, we're trying to fix them, but they're still feeding their kids crap, you know, and they're like, uh, they would never eat that. It's like, actually they would, you know, <laughs> especially that this is our job to like, give them what we you know what i mean we give them yeah. their food supply right yeah, now absolutely um, they're not buying it themselves they're, you know they have what well, you purchased for them <laughs> they have what we purchased and i think by by getting creative like i i do like some brands like simple mills some things that they can have some treats but they're healthy and they're grain free and they're you know nutrient dense things like that um help bridge that gap but kids don't feel like they're missing out unless you feel like they're missing out. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, they mimic, I don't, they mimic I don't, where we're coming from and we absolutely. project a lot yeah. of that and we fail to see that most times, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did a whole podcast on kids just recently, but like, you know, it, it, it baffles me because kids think that, or people think that their kids just will resist, resist. And, you know, my kids are really good. You know, every once in a while, if they have something that is out of character for them. They feel it yeah. and they know, and they'll be like, oh, you know, it's because I had that cupcake at school or whatever it is. <laughs> and they'll feel like crap afterwards. But, you know, sometimes as parents, you got to let them feel that. So they know like, okay, I don't want to feel like this. That's inflammation. You know, mm -hmm. and if you teach them why, 
and teach them like, you know, why are they responding this way? Why does their belly hurt? Why do they have a headache after they have this? Then they'll know and they'll kind of store that and remember. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think you're exactly right to say we don't often give them credit because we just assume that they're going to respond a certain way. But I I have six kids, six little humans, and I know how that goes. And I think I think just eating healthy as a family without really like getting into too many details. I think too many details sometimes is not good for kids, especially those that might be prone to things like OCD and things like that. Like yeah, don't over focus sure. on it. But I think if you just buy mm-hmm. real food, it's just the normal it's thing. Normal. You don't even yeah, have to almost discuss it that much because if all exactly. you look for when you open the it's pantry is real, you know, let's say it's here in Hawaii, it's avocados, it's banana, it's papaya, mm-hmm. you know, mango, that's what's in season right now. But, but if yeah. we look into our fridge and we see nothing but real food and there's like almost nothing yeah. in a package, like they'll, they'll just yeah. learn that that's what you eat. You eat real food. Like my kids love yes. real food. They love berries. They love watermelon. They love, you know, all of these. Right now they're, they're loving Absolutely. kiwi. Like there's this kiwi that's in season right now that they're loving. Yeah. And I just think it's awesome. Yeah. Like my little four-year-old awesome. eats avocados just straight out of the, you know, with a spoon. She doesn't need them in that's any awesome. particular way. She'll literally just eat it right yeah. out of the halved avocado that I cut for her. And she'll just sit there and eat it like candy. Yeah. It's so awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They, they do. Uh, and, and you're right. Like, you know, it's, it's important to not label it as like, oh, we're on this yeah, diet exactly. or whatever it is. Because then you do get into diet culture and that can set them up for you know, lasting effects downstream. I mean, my parents were always on slim fast or doing something <laughs> like that, you know, and that really stuck with me for a really long time. But if you just, yeah, we just, we eat real food. That's just uh, what we do. You know, and it's weird that that's abnormal, you know, compared to like maybe what their friends do or what they're, ta- what they're doing in school. But this has always been our normal and we pack our lunches and that's just how it is. And that's just what the kids will always know, yeah. you know. No, that's so important. I mean, just just that, uh, I think, setting that model, having real food available, eating real food, sending your kids off to school with real food, not like the Hot Pocket mm-hmm. or the Cheetos or whatever yeah. the package thing is. And it's like, no. and then let them figure no. it out because they're going to they're gonna have a few of their friends' Cheetos or a few of this and that. And they'll be like, Absolutely. like you said, maybe they'll recognize they don't feel good afterwards. And they're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. eat that garbage and I'll just have an apple or uh, papaya or yeah. whatever is available that's real food, you know, that my mom packs mm-hmm. for me. Like, it's really cool what my mom yeah. packs for me. Oh, she did that for a reason. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Mommy knows yeah. best. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. so awesome. Well, I want to respect your time. Yeah. I know we've gone uh, right about in an hour right now, and that's my typical length. Uh, let me um, ask yeah. you any final thoughts, and then after after that, just give us your um, how we find you and, and how people can connect with you. So, any parting words and then just how people can find you? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, when it, when it comes to, um, you know, supporting perimenopause and menopause, like we were talking about, start now. You know, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, you know, and it's not too late if you're already in perimenopause. It's not too late to kind of pad that, you know, pad that transition. Um, but just do the basics. Like, like we said, feed your body with nutrients focus on sleep, move intentionally, do some of those things. If you can dig deeper and do testing and look into your imbalances and things like that, do that. But just start with the basics and start supporting your body now. That's going to be the biggest thing. Um, and so for me, I, I put most of my time into Instagram. That's just the, the one that's quick and easy. And I can just post and walk away pretty quickly uh, for the most part. So you'll find me on there, um, Dr. 
Stacy.nd is my handle on there. Um, and I also have a podcast as well, Vibing Well with Dr. Stacy. It's new this year, so I don't have a Yay. ton of episodes, but we're building. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, so, awesome. um, so yeah, so that's how you can find me. And I, I appreciate you having me. And it's always great to chat with like-minded professionals. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Well, what a delight it's been to have you. I'm sure we'll do more of these. I just think you resonate so much with not only what I'm up to, but what my audience is interested in. And you're just a true light doing lots of good things, super bright and intelligent and sharing just powerful stuff, you know, that that can really help people. And so I just appreciate you, Stacy, for taking the time to be with us here on the Modern Medicine Movement. And I look forward to, I hope, many, uh, you know, future um, episodes either here on a podcast or maybe we can do an Instagram live or a few would like a podcast yeah. guest i'm always happy to share on podcasts as well but it's been it's been such a pleasure i hope people will Absolutely. immediately follow you it's dr stacy nd and it's got two dots between those dr.stacy.nd i think i said that right that's just out of my memory um but that's how i found her i actually found i found you and we started connecting and it's been a lot yeah. of fun so please follow dr stacy right now hit your phones and hit follow <laughs> she's got lots of uh, daily tips that pop up and I love to read them and she's just on this path of optimizing health and has this beautiful mission to help you and each of us just really you know achieve optimal health which can happen like she said we need to start now like don't wait don't wait till you hit perimenopause mm -hmm. or menopause start now and it will just not only I think enhance your current life but it will also lessen you know maybe these symptoms and less desirable things that people experience that come with perimenopause and menopause and there's no uh, you know just no better time than now right no better time like the present so awesome awesome thank you so much dr stacy it's been a true pleasure thank oh my you. gosh just uh loved having you today uh oh my gosh Welcome thank you thank you thank you so we will hopefully see you real soon and until then Guys, follow Dr. Stacy on Instagram, dr.stacy.nd. Is that right? Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Yay. So, so happy. All right. Big aloha out to Stacy. Okay. Recording stopped. So, uh, <laughs> I stopped the recording. Okay, good. Um,